I didn't ever think that we'd still be in Ephesians at the turn of the year, but it's the God's providence that we are, because uh, the topic that is next in line for me to deal with is this Ephesians 6, uh, 17, the helmet of salvation. And as we'll see in a few minutes, uh, and as uh, I put on the newsletter and uh, Tamsin referred to earlier, <clears throat> this is about hope. And what better word to have as a headline on almost New Year's Eve than the word hope. So it's in God's providence that we're dealing with this this morning. <clears throat> so it's going through Ephesians 6 where about the warfare in which every Christian is engaged. Let's look at it again from verse 10. <clears throat> Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armour of God so that you can stand against the tactics of the devil. For our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the world powers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. This is why you must take up the full armour of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. Stand, therefore, with truth like a belt around your waist. Righteousness like armour on your chest. Your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation take the shield of faith and with it you'll be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation. That's this week. And the sword of the spirit, which is God's word. That's next week. And then a week or two later on. And pray at all times in the spirit with every prayer and request, and stay alert in this with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. Lord Jesus, we pray that you'll give us right now the Holy Spirit to interpret Scripture to us, apply it to us, and make it effective working in us. Your word is like a sword, and may it cut through wrong thinking to release right thinking and wrong behaviour to provoke right behaviour. We come to be shaped and changed again by your truth, Lord. Amen. Amen. Stand therefore with the helmet of salvation. There's a variety of helmets that will appear this morning. They're not all of the same period. They're not all Greek, they're not all Roman, they're not all medieval, whatever. They're just helmets. Stand therefore with the helmet of salvation. Now we saw this phrase when we were going earlier on from Isaiah 59 verse 17 because there talks about the armour of God God himself put on armour it says the Lord put on righteousness like a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head and who was it who did that? it was Jesus Messiah who clothed himself with this righteousness and with this with, with salvation and he did it not for his own sake but for ours he was winning our freedom as our warrior king So he clothed himself with these things. And we need to clothe ourselves now with these things too. If we're to stand in him and resist evil. The helmet of salvation. What is salvation? I remember I was standing here last week telling you what salvation was. It's to pull someone out of the the drowning. It's to rescue someone from from a fire. It's It's to save someone from falling under a car or a truck. It's to keep them alive. To rescue them, to deliver them. In fact, if you're going to translate salvation into one modern word, because it's not a very modern word, is it? It would be deliverance, to be rescued from. 
So what is the salvation of God for us? Well, it's all about the gospel. God has in Jesus' Son provided a saviour, a rescuer, a deliverer for us. Jesus came and overcame death and disease and destruction and the devil in his life, in his death and in his resurrection. Every one of our enemies, sin, death, despair, destruction, demons, the devil. So that for those who trust in God's Son Jesus... All of these things are already true. I should have put these on the screen. He has delivered us from the dark kingdom of Satan into his own kingdom of light. That's a done deal. He has delivered us from the power of death so that we no longer need fear of death. He's delivered us from our sins and from the power, the authority of sin. And he's delivered us from being under the condemnation and wrath of God into the very heart and love of God the Father. Those things are so. They are done for everyone who is trusted in Jesus. You're not working your way towards them. They are yours. They are done. We need to think again about salvation, this rescue of God for ourselves as being past, present and future. Jesus has saved me by his grace and by his cross and by his resurrection. I should say his life, his death and his resurrection. Jesus is saving me. Right now he continues to be my rescuer, my helper through the work of the Holy Spirit. Who is also sanctifying me, making me more like Jesus. Jesus is saving me now. When I was a very new Christian, 18 years of age, and I already knew a lot of uh, hymns and choruses because I'd grown up in church and my dad was the keyboard player and so I, I knew stuff. There was an old hymn that became really, really one of my favourites at the time. It's a silly old hymn, really. But the chorus is, Jesus saves me now. Yes, Jesus saves me now. Jesus saves me all the time. But for some reason, my theology hadn't even got around that yet. But I love to sing that little ditty. Jesus saves me now. I'm not relying on a past experience or a past decision He is continually my saviour. And Jesus will save me. That's his promise. That's his promise. All the Father has given to him, he will lose none. He will keep them. Present them to his Father as complete. Jesus has saved me, is saving me, and will save me. And I'm not saying that just for myself. I want you to be able to say that. I want you to learn that and know that and be confident in saying it because when you confess this faith, it does something for you. Over Christmas, the Muppet Christmas Carol was on again, yeah? Anybody see the Muppet Christmas Carol yet again? (laughs) There's a scene in it in which Michael Caine as Scrooge has been reformed in his mind and heart and he says, I will live in the past, the present and the future. That's actually an accurate quotation from Dickens' book, by the way. But it's twee saying, but it has some truth for us. Because we as Christians need to live in the past of God's salvation, the present continuing experience of God's salvation, and confident expectation of his future salvation. We live by God's grace with our sins pardoned, with our past pardoned, with power provided to us in the present to live now. By his grace, for his glory. And with great promises that point us ahead into our future. We live not only by grace through faith now, today, but that faith reaches ahead and trusts God for tomorrow and tomorrow and beyond. 
And that projection of faith into the future gets a different word in the Bible. It is the word hope. Hope is projected faith. You're not seeing it. It isn't now, but you believe it will be. Why? Not because it's the power of your imagination, but it's the power of God who is your helper and your saviour. We hope in God. So even the word hope really needs the rest of the sentence. We hope in God. That's why I've entitled this sermon this morning, Hope Rather Than Salvation. Because actually, in another passage in the New Testament, Paul writes this. Since we belong to the day, we must be serious and put the armour of faith and love on our chests and put on the helmet of the hope of salvation. So the longer version of the helmet of salvation is the helmet of the hope of salvation. This is about how we are addressing and thinking about the future, not just now. It's about hope in God, projecting faith ahead. Now we need to understand what the Bible means by hope. It's not how we generally use the word nowadays as an equal to wish or imagine. You know, Amazon and eBay and so on, you can have a wish list, can't you? And you can tell your family what's on your wish list so they buy you stuff for Christmas and birthdays and things. You can see my wish list. My wish list is very boring. It's got all kinds of theology books. and you know. But, you know, hope is not about your wish list. I, 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 can, I could fondly imagine that this might happen and I'd, I'd like this to happen. It'd be really cool if that happened. That's wishing and daydreaming. Hope is not that. It's become that in English, but that's not what the Bible means by hope. Biblical hope is to trust God for what we do not now have, what we do not yet see, what we cannot in any way control. Only he can do it, therefore we hope in him. Yes. Amen. It's faith projected into the future. It is about conviction, it's about confidence, it's about trust. Real hope is a rare thing nowadays. There's little hope around in the world. There's lots of aggression, there's lots of... Uh, uh, tribalism and people fighting for their preferred future, but there isn't a lot of hope. The world has led the church to live in now and forget about the future, to abandon our hope. But we, the church, Christians, are the light of the world and salt of the earth. But if our hope is diminished, then our light burns low and our salt loses its savour. Lack of hope is a dangerous infection for us as Christians and for the Church of Christ. The person without hope has no wish to go forward into tomorrow. They'll have to make do to today because they don't think tomorrow's going to be any better. In fact, it could be worse. So lack of hope says, I'm going to hang on today, I'm going to get everything I can today because I'm not sure about what's happening next. But hope says, I can live with not having today what God's going to give me tomorrow. The Bible tells us plainly and repeatedly that we're to hope in God. In fact, if you look up hope and hope in God in scriptures, there's hundreds of verses. I couldn't use them all today, so I've narrowed it right down and left an awful lot out. But if you read through the Bible in here, you'll find a lot of verses about hope. Okay? There's your challenge. Find out how many verses there are about hope and hope in God. The Bible tells us plainly and repeatedly we're to hope in God beyond for more and better ahead. So let me ask you a question. Do you want this next year to be the same as the one now ending or would you like it to be better? 
If your answer is that you'd like better ahead than you've yet had, you are a candidate for hope. That's what you're signing up for. You want to invest in hope because you believe you're going to see more from God. What about our children and young people? Let me challenge everybody who's 35, maybe 36, 8 upwards today. If we older ones become cynical and basically abandon hope, what are we showing and teaching and exampling our youngsters? They've got it tough. They have less opportunities than we had in our generation. Not, they don't have the financial security that we always assumed that we would have. They don't even know if, if ever they're going to be able to retire on a pension. They need us to give them hope. Not in the government, no, no, not in the economy, no. They need us to give them hope in God. So we need to be people who infect others with hope. Invest in the next generation. That's why I'm doing the Equip series. I've got a few years left of doing what I do, and I want to invest two years, once a fortnight, with breaks and holidays and half terms and honestly, once a fortnight, to see some people trained up to go make a difference in the world for God's glory. How much hope do we inspire people? Well, how important is hope? Well, there's a famous scripture at the end of 1 Corinthians 13 that says, Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. But you notice that hope is right there in the middle. It's a different kind of faith, but it's, it's no less than faith. One day when we are in our eternal inheritance, seeing the Lamb and our Father and worshipping our God, we won't need faith and hope anymore. There will only be love. We won't need to trust God for anything because we'll be seeing Him face to face. But right now, these three remain. We need faith and strong faith. And we need strong, certain hope. And I think the church hasn't heard the message of hope, really, for quite a while. Faith, if I'm to make a difference, is about today. Hope is about tomorrow. So to come back to the main point, here this is the hope of salvation, is trusting God for future grace. John Piper writes a, um, a book about future grace, the transforming power or the preserving power of future grace. Let me talk about foundations, okay? Because these things have foundation. Hope is not wishing, it's not vague, it's not pulling a thought out of the air. Oh yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll take that one. It's digging into foundations, all right? Hope... Now you're thinking about songs we sing, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Yeah. Okay, it's true, but let me spell that out for you. Hope in God is built upon the promises of God, his word. That's why knowing his word is important. As you read through the scriptures, there will be a moment when the Holy Spirit goes, yes, get that, take that. And you need to, oh, you need to turn that into believing prayer and hope in God according to his word. Yeah. Turn your hope into prayer. No, oh, that would be nice if, if it happened. Yeah, you know, that kind of, will you just do this? But, oh, yeah, if you would only do that, yeah, that would be really nice. Thank you. Now you say, Lord, I'm believing you for that. I'm going to trust you for that. I'm asking you for that. Believing prayer, not wishful thinking prayer. Believing prayer. Now, I, some people overdo faith, so you don't actually pray. You don't ask. You just say it. And I, re, I refute that. 
But there is such a thing as asking believingly. So you really are hoping in God that he's going to answer your prayer and he's going to do what you've asked of him. The promises of God. The promises of God are rooted in the covenant of God made in by the blood of Jesus Christ, the new covenant, in which you are sealed to him by an unbreakable covenant. Yeah. Amen. You are joined to Christ. You died with him. You raised with him. You're now alive in him. You're born of God. And I don't find any scripture that says you can be unborn of God. All right? You can wonder and you can sin and you can be backward, backsliding and backwards. and you can, be, you can be a pretty poor example of a Christian. But that doesn't make you not a child of God. If you really are born of God. The covenant of God. God's covenant, his mercy, his grace, which is not just vague and, and, and transitory and, 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 and changeable. It's unchangeable because he's sealed it by an oath. He's sworn by himself that he will keep covenant with you because his son has died for you. Hope in God rests upon his word and upon his covenant and all of those rest upon the bedrock of the character of God. Our God is good and gracious and full of mercy, and he is unchangeable. I saw in the video earlier. We rejoice in the goodness of our God. Those are the foundations that underlie hope in God. It's according to his word. It's according to his unchangeable covenant. And it's according to his unchangeable nature and character. God who cannot lie has made covenant with us in his Son. And has on that basis made promises to us to save us, help us and keep us and supply us. Our hope is built on those foundations. Our God will help and save us according to his promises, his covenant and his character. So how do we put on this hope of salvation? The helmet of the hope of salvation. Well, a helmet protects the head. And the Christian's battle is primarily in and for our minds. Bear in mind that in Hebrew thinking heart and mind are the same thing really. The fiery arrows of the enemy's accusations and deceptions are fired at our minds. If this helmet was to have a, a badge on it, and some helmets do, you'd put the badge of hope, but I would choose a scripture from the Old Testament that occurs many times in the Psalms. The Lord is my salvation. There's a good slogan for you for the new year. The Lord is my salvation. Now, I'm going to do the best I can. I'm going to try and muddle through. This is a confession of faith and hope. The Lord is my salvation. He will help me. He will keep me. He will supply my family. He will be a helper and provider and healer. His good providence will keep us through. The Lord is my salvation. We're not saved by self-effort, self-improvement. God is our saviour in and through the Lord Jesus. That's the first thing we need to get straight in our thinking. Christianity is not about self-help. A Christianity is not primarily someone who's made a decision, chosen a path or goes to church. It is someone who is saved, is being saved and will be saved by the grace of God through faith in Jesus. God is our saviour. But imagine you, you put on a helmet... And then you look out from within that helmet. And some helmets really narrow your field of vision to protect you. How that soldier views the battle is framed by what is on his head. He can't see everywhere because he's looking that way. We need the salvation of God, the covenant of God, the promises of God to frame the whole of the way we think. 
how we do life needs to be completely wrapped around by our knowledge and our experience and our understanding of God's goodness and God's salvation. That's what the scripture is saying. Put on on your head. So it wraps you around the hope of salvation. The reason that you and I exist is to be a believer in God through Jesus, to be saved by his grace through faith. And again, we need to be thinking about his salvation, past, present, and future. I have been saved by the grace of God through faith in his son Jesus. I am being saved. I will be saved by his grace. Fill your mind with salvation. Meditate on the Lord and his goodness. Let salvation frame how you think and therefore how you view life. Past, present, and future. Rejoice, be thankful. Bow and worship. So the trouble is, when we're proud, we don't worship. But when we know we're saved entirely by God's grace, then we worship. Being a believer, a Christian, is not a part-time pastime. It's how we live all of life. No part of life is to be seen as outside God's grace, God's goodness, his salvation. The grace of God has come to us to teach us to live every minute in every part of our lives for the glory of God. It's not a switch on, switch off thing. I'll be a Christian. No, no, it's not time to be a Christian. It's time for me to do something else. The current needs to run all the time. We live by faith in God. Faith in Christ changes everything or it isn't the real thing. And our minds need to be wrapped around by the hope of the future saving grace of God. The future goodness of God. It's hope that looks ahead and says, what I don't have today, God will still yet supply. I'm still trusting him. What hasn't happened yet, I'm still trusting him, will happen. Because he's put a promise in my heart about it. This hope in God, depending on his word, will help to keep us from amongst other things, these things, despair, disobedience, diversion, or I could have used the word dissipation, but that's too long. Being diverted, filling filling your life with nonsense and rubbish just to waste your time. Deception, being taken in by one of the cults or whatever else. In Psalm 42 and 43, and by the few other places as well, David is being afflicted by depression. And it's interesting, interesting the antidote he chooses. I'm not saying you must do this and only do this to deal with the depression, please. I'm saying this is what David did. He challenged himself to hope in God. Do you remember those scriptures? Why are you cast down, my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God. I will yet praise him for his goodness. It's like I find it difficult to praise him now, but I'm hoping in him and I'm going to praise him. Yeah? That's an honest... Is that honest? Yeah. It's very honest. The, the scriptures, the Psalms are brutally honest. Some of them we, we're a little embarrassed to read aloud on a Sunday because they deal with real hurts, real life, real people calling out to God from sometimes the depths of despair and frustration. Out of the very depths have I cried to thee, oh my God. I could read the Psalms for the next hour, but I won't. You need to make prayers. When you feel like that, make those prayers your prayers, please. But the challenge is to bring the way you feel to God and affirm again as you do that, 
I yet I do hope in you, Lord. My hope is in the Lord. Yes, I know I listed some of those things when I was talking about the shield of faith, but this is another way of looking at it. We need a helmet as well as a shield for protection against the attacks of the enemy. This change from shield to helmet focuses attention on our minds particularly. The Christian warfare is first and foremost the battle for your mind. It's about how we think. And the world, the flesh and the devil want you to think a certain way because then your feet will soon follow and the rest of your body too. But God wants you to think in a different way. To think, as someone coined the phrase, I think it was, uh, it was certainly John Santama who used it quite a bit, to think Christianly. Do you get that? To think like a Christian. Who's not the world. We're different. We're made to be different. So to think Christianly about things. There was a trend a few weeks ago when I began to write these notes about mental health. It's gone out of the news again now. And they're promoting something called mindfulness. Anybody heard of Mindfulness. Yeah? Okay. I'll take that for you. <laughs> Here is NHS. This is official NHS guidelines on mindfulness. How to be mindful. Official NHS, this is. Notice the everyday. Engage your senses. For example, to think about the food you're eating and the feeling of air moving past you as you walk. Choose a regular time for your practice of mindfulness. For example, during your morning commute or on a lunchtime walk. Try seeing things from a different perspective. This can be as simple as choosing a different seat at school, college, or in a work meeting, or going somewhere new for lunch. And then this one, I think, is so much what Christian warfare is about. Watch your thoughts. See them as mental events and let them come and go in your mind like buses. You don't have to accept everything that crosses this territory. Name your thoughts and feelings to get more awareness. For example, recognizing this is anxiety. Or to expand upon that, this is what I feel right now. But it's okay, it's just a feeling. I don't necessarily, I won't necessarily feel like this even in an hour's time, let alone tomorrow. So I don't need to do much about it, in other words. Yes? This is transitory. I'm I'm a little upset because I've just had a hard conversation. It's all right, I'll be all right in a minute. Naming what's happening. As well as practicing in day-to-day life, you can set aside time for mindfulness, meditation, yoga, or tai chi. We'll leave those alone. We won't go there. But a lot of that is what Christian uh, directors, people who kind of train people to live well for God and and, 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 and try to build in them a, a, a broader, deeper Christian life. This is what we've been teaching for centuries. Dealing with temptation in the battle for your mind. We, as Christians, are to pray and read scripture and meditate on the Lord and his word. So we'll give yoga and tai chi a pass. We're taught by the Lord Jesus to be mindful day by day and not take anxious thought for tomorrow. He didn't say don't think about tomorrow. We're to trust God for tomorrow. Don't take anxious thought for tomorrow so you're wasting today's opportunities. Fretting. Worrying. We're taught by scripture to 
have, take thought for others and not just for ourselves. And we are indeed to treat many passing things in our minds as things to be dismissed, to name and shame them as thoughts and feelings which are dishonouring to God, which don't honour him and, and, and his grace. And so to deal with them, if your mind accepts all thoughts equally, equally valid, equally to be considered, you will soon be in trouble. The stuff that just comes through, especially if you've been watching some movies, whatever else, and it stays in you, the ideas stay, you've got to deal with those thoughts. And I, I would be more brutal than, you know, passing buses. I'd say, give them a jolly good kick. Say, no! Throw them down. That's the language of Corinthians. You know, strongholds, you know, we defeat strongholds, and everybody talks about, we're going to go at the high places and pull down strongholds. That very scripture talks about it's the battle in our minds. We defeat thoughts and imaginations and things which don't honor God, and we take them captive. The scripture there is talking about the battle in our minds for the way we think. Because the world is wanting us to think unchristianly. So the battle is, do I stand firm and deal with those ideas and thoughts and dismiss them? Damn them. Condemn them. Throw them down. And we do all of this in the Lord. When anxious thoughts come, scripture tells us we should process those into believing prayer. Recognize, Lord, I'm anxious about that. I'm worried about that. So let me talk to you about it. And affirm again, I'm, I'm, I'm going to trust you for this. I'm going to believe you, Lord. We fill our minds with the salvation of God. Trusting him, asking of him, waiting for his help. These are, I nearly forgot this. I just remembered this this morning when I looked at my, my computer. Great, great quote, don't know who from. You'd never invite a thief into your house. So why would you allow thoughts to steal your joy to make themselves at home in your mind? There's a battle in your mind. Deal with the thoughts and send them packing. In the name of the Lord. Hope in God and his salvation is not wishfulness, it's not daydreaming, it's a solid anchor for our souls. This is an interesting, this is the, the passion translation, which I've not even heard of until this week. But I like this version of Hebrews 13 verse 16, I think it is. We have this certain hope like a strong, unbreakable anchor holding our souls for God himself. So I'll do it again. We have this certain hope. It's projected faith, future. Like a strong, unbreakable anchor holding our souls, our very selves, to God himself. Hope is like an anchor for our soul. It keeps us firm when the boat's rocking, when the winds are blowing, when the waves are tossing. Hope. Because Jesus isn't saving me from this at this moment, but I'm trusting him that he will. I've got a few things to kind of wind this out now. Talk about hope and how hope handles the future. Because this is about dealing with the future, not just today. Hope is faith that projects forward and trusts God for what is un- as yet not here. And first of all, I want to say that hope prizes, it values, they begin with P, which is why it says prizes. Hope prizes, values the future. 
Actually, we live in a generation which doesn't want to know about the future because I don't know what that's going to be, so let's just enjoy it. Let's eat and drink and be merry because tomorrow we die. That's the mentality of this generation. You can't blame them. The world's pretty much drained of hope. But believing the promises of God, hope expects better ahead. The Christian's journey is upward, not downward. To more light, not less. To more grace, not less. That's the description of it in this Bible. We're being transformed from one degree of glory to another. It's an upward, increasing, better, better, better way of life. We're not called to be going on just the same as we ever were. That's not our calling. But to keep on being changed. To keep on growing in grace and in faith. We live today in the light of tomorrow. That's what scriptures teach us. So we do look for the coming of our Lord Jesus in the end of this age. For that future accountability, future glory, eternal inheritance. But before then, as someone who's an old Puritan at heart, I love good old reform theology. I dare to believe that we shall yet see the greatest final harvest of people coming to faith in Jesus of Messiah. Including many of the Jewish people around the world. That the best days of the church of God weren't Acts 2. They'll be just before Jesus comes. The best days are still ahead. We had John Glass uh, preaching here at the beginning of January. Was it last year? Just the beginning of January, I think it was. He came at the beginning of January. And he was taught, said a lot about the best is yet to come. I thought he was going to break into a Frank Sinatra impression. But, <laughs> Bless um, but that is the language of hope. There is better ahead. There is light to come. Hope prizes the future. doesn't despise it. doesn't dismiss it. doesn't say, oh, I can't be bothered with that. I've just got to live for now. Hope says, I have something worth living for. There is more yet. There is better yet. The way our family is developing will grow better yet. I expect to see better in my kids yet by the grace of God. I expect to see more in them. I expect not just school results. I'm talking about the grace of God. I'm talking about their, their lifestyle, their faith. They're their, their, their honouring God and being filled with joy and peace. We invest in hope and pray for things that aren't going to happen in a moment. But we're willing to pray long-term prayers repeatedly until we see God do something extraordinary. That's about hope, folks. If you want what you've got now, then you've got it. You've got it. That's it. But if you wish for more, the only root is hope. Hope prizes the future, believing to yet see the goodness of God and his glory filling the earth as the waters cover the sea. Therefore, hope prays for the future. It doesn't just confess prophecies and promises. Doesn't just name just doesn't just recite them. It prays for them. Promises are not just there to be admired and underlined or even repeated. They're to be brought to God in eager believing prayer. Look what your word says, Lord. Do I need to remind you about this? Well I will. Please make this happen. Let this be. Amen. I say amen to this, Lord, please. I ask you for it in the name of Jesus. Believing prayer. Prayer is a major investment of hope in the future grace of God. Because you're not going to get all your answers today. That's the thing. 
<laughs> it's not all going to happen tomorrow. So hope invests by praying long-term prayers. Praying for the next generation. And maybe the one after that. Praying for the leaders in training. Praying for people who are going to shape, reshape this world before Jesus comes. So pray for your family. Pray for your church. There's a quote, I should have written it down. There's a quote from Spurgeon that says, Never give up praying for your family. While they breathe and Jesus lives, there is hope. <coughs> while they live and Jesus, sorry, while they breathe and Jesus lives, there is hope. I love that. Pray for your family, pray for your church, pray for your town, pray for your nation and the nations. And we'll be coming to more about prayer in a few weeks' time. But then also, hope prepares for the future. Here's the problem with a lot of us for many decades as Christians. We think when we've said it and we've prayed it, we've done it. But we've, we've, we've prophesied it's going to happen. No, no, no. What are you doing about it? If you believe the promise of God or you believe that God has an intention for your life, a purpose for your life, how are you investing in that to make it happen? I'm going to embarrass him. But um, over here, Colin is starting this year to train for a long-term minister in training with Enid. It's a long course, but he's starting this month, this year. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm starting a, what will be a two-year plan of leadership training here in Lighthouse. And inviting others to come and benefit from because I don't want to be secular, you know, closed in about it. Hope prepares for the future. It invests time and effort in things that aren't that pay back straight away. But we have become so instant, so today, in our thinking, because that's the way the world has made us think, that we thought, oh, no, I couldn't do all that. Oh, that's got a long time. Oh, I couldn't possibly invest, like, you know, once a fortnight on a Thursday, to use my example. Whatever. Oh, it's a lot of time. Hope makes investments because they're going to pay off down the line. We live by faith today in present grace and hope for future grace tomorrow. It's the strength of future grace to come that motivates us to live daily by the grace of God now. Let me show you a scripture. 1 John 3, 2 to 3. Dear friends, we're now God's children. That's what we are. And what we will be has not yet been revealed. All, everything that God's children means for us in eternity, we only have a, a few little clues about. We don't, we don't have that fully revealed. We know that when he appears, when Jesus appears, we will be like him because we'll see him as he is. We've got that straight. We know that. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. If you really are living in hope of seeing Jesus, you are working at as much as lies in you to cooperate with the Holy Spirit, this is a longer version, to become more like him so you're more ready to see him. You invest in the process because you have hope. But for decades, Christians haven't thought about investing in any process because it's only what we've only got now. We could, you know, the world could end in a minute. But they've been saying that since I was a kid in the 1950s. Uh, the, the clock stands at one minute to midnight. The world can end at any minute. Well, I don't believe that anymore, and I get on with life, and I'm having a better time. Thank you very much. All right. And part of not accepting that kind of you know doom and destruction kind of mentality is you invest in things. Otherwise, why are we still having kids? 
if the world's ending tonight? Why are we sending them to school if the world's going to end on Wednesday? Yes? Jesus is coming. But we will be ready for that. And we'll be ready for that by investing in long-term processes of change and purification and so on. Piper's book is called Future Grace, The Purifying Power of the Promises of God. Here's an example from good old William Gurnall. I'm still reading William Gurnall on this. Gurnall writes of the man who stands waiting me on a staircase for his prince to arrive. And the prince has promised him that when he sees him, he'll do him good. So the man's waiting for his prince. Waiting, hopefully, waiting expectantly, because he's got a promise from his prince. But if a man who had the same promise given to him doubts his prince, gets weary in waiting, he'll become discontented and soon he'll be rebellious and soon he'll be talking behind the prince's back and doing all kinds of stuff. Lack of hope lies at the source of much of our wanderings from faith. Lack of discipline, lack of, lack of discipleship, lack of honouring God in the way we live. It's lack of hope. We need more hope. That's what we need. We need the medicine of hope because hope will help us to stay focused, to stay disciplined, to pursue long-term things as we trust God. We allow ourselves to think, like the world says, that this is all there is, so grab what you can. Hope leads us to stand firm, holding on to the promises of God, waiting to see his goodness. In fact, I've saved this till now. It's a phrase in the Psalms, but Psalm 27. This, this sums up the word hope. Do you want some water? You got some water? Okay. Psalm 27, verse 13. I am certain that I will see the Lord's goodness in the land of the living. That is a statement of hope. That doesn't mean today, or I'm going to give up. Or, if, well, maybe tomorrow, but if, but if not tomorrow, then I am going to give up. No, whatever the period is, I'm going to continue to maintain this hope in God that I am certain I will see his goodness while I still live. That is a statement of hope. And we need to arm ourselves with this way of thinking. The helmet of the hope of the salvation of God. Wrap it around ourselves and say, this is how, by God's grace, I'm going to think and deal with these things. I'm looking for his goodness. Hope pursues purity and holiness and hope prepares, it invests, it trains, it studies to be ready for God's good things ahead. I remember when I was at Bible college, I had a little idea in my head I was going to be called to France and I was going to be a missionary. And I started to kind of read the Bible in French and so on. And then I let it drift. And a bit of a while later, I felt the Holy Spirit said, so you're still going to go to France, are you? You've given up on it. I said, yeah, actually, I have given up on it. If you don't invest, I'm not saying that God really did come to France. It was just an idea. And I still can read. I can still manage some bits of French, but I couldn't learn back then. But if you have a hope in God, If you believe that you are resting and relying upon a promise of God, go and do something with it. Invest. Progress it. Bit by bit. Step by step. You're not going to have it tomorrow. But it could still be in his providence. But you need to pray and prepare for what his goodness is still to be 
in the future. Hope takes hold of promises and prophecies and prays and prepares for the time when they become reality, they become present. So we believers must shrug off the world's agenda and influence, become less addicted to today, and live in preparation for a better tomorrow. Our faith must stretch forward to the months and years ahead. And we need to pray and work for the gospel to be spread, for God's glory to increase, for the good of our families and for the families of the world. People invested in going as missionaries to places, and very often that first generation did not see much at all, but the second, the third generation did. They invested in the long-term goal of seeing nations went to Christ. Ghana today is a, is a predominantly very Christian country. But at one point in time, history, it had missionaries going and dying there. Dying of the fevers and so on, of the rivers, you know, they caught in the traveling through the rivers. I may not see his goodness today now as I wish, but I'm certain I will. That is the confession of hope in Christ. I said earlier that hope is quite rare in this world. Since you know, you don't meet a lot of people, especially people who aren't Christians, who have any thought about what hope is, let alone are evidencing it. Listen to this. If we are, as Romans 15 says, filled with hope, overflowing with hope, do you think that would mark us out as being different? You bet it would. What is the matter with you? What are you on? Where can I buy that? Filled with hope. And that's why Peter writes this. Honour the Messiah as Lord in your hearts and always be ready to give a defence to anyone who asks you for a reason for the... What's the word? Hope, hope that is in you. Because you're talking not just about, yeah, I got saved when I was... And, and this happened. You're talking about things that aren't even happened yet. Because you're trusting God for them. You're hoping in Him. Your future facing, forward projecting faith, which is called hope, is actually winding them up. They're saying, what are you on? Where do you get that from? So you give a defence for the reason, for the hope that you have within you. I don't know how I did that. Excuse me. Am I done? I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. Christians are people of hope. We are trusting God today, but beyond today. We're looking ahead and believing to see more of his goodness. More of answered prayer. Increase of faith and life in our homes, our families, our neighbourhoods, our town, our nation. Increase of his glory. So put on your helmet of hope in God's salvation. And pray and look for his grace and help every day, but beyond today, for things that can't happen today, but you still nevertheless are willing to invest prayer and faith and hope in future grace. Have confidence in his unchanging character and his covenant with us in Jesus to fulfill every one of his good promises. Put your hope in God's promises and put your hope in God.
There's a quote here from Gurnall. I'll give you the quote. Earth's greatest king would be glad to change his crown for your helmet, this, this hope of salvation, at his dying hour. His crown will not get him this helmet, but your helmet will bring you a crown. A crown not of gold, but glory, and one which will never be taken off. There's a reward for us who will continue in hope. There'll be people who trust God, believe God, pray, and pursue his glory. Let's pray together. It may be that for one or two people, you need to make a beginning before the things that I've said. Because if hope is faith projected into the future, you need faith to start in you now first. To begin to trust the Lord Jesus as your saviour, your king. You need to begin today. And then begin to walk in faith in him. It's a way of life. So why don't you just offer a prayer to him right now? Just tell him that that is what you wish to do. That is what you long for. To come to know him and to follow him. To know that you're forgiven through him. And that you have new life in him. You don't have to know all the scriptures and all the theology. You just have to respond to him with a simple prayer and he will hear it. Thank you, Lord. Now for all of the rest of us. I guess it's a shame on me to say, when did you last hear a sermon about hope? But we are to be creatures of hope. One Old Testament scripture says prisoners of hope. We're held by it, caught by it. It won't let us go. We have to live for more, for better than we now know. There needs to be an increase of God's glory in our family. The gospel needs to be spread to all the nations and have greater impact on our nation. And so we're willing to believe for that and pray for that and prepare for it. In hope. In hope. Father, hear our prayers now as we submit ourselves to you. We often make resolutions at New Year's time. We make ourselves promises. But Lord, at this Christmas time, New New Year's Eve, We want to believe your promises, not make promises to ourselves, but believe your promises and enter this new year with fresh hope in our hearts that believes to see your goodness more than we've seen it yet. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.